Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. And welcome to a brand new episode of RetroTube, the show where one of the less well-known mm. Liverpool and Lincolnshire comedy duos relax and have a good old chinwag over some of the finest and other shows of the 60s, 70s and 80s. This week is my turn once more, and never let it be said that I don't choose some of the classiest and most highbrow shows for your delectation chaps, chapses, and all those on varying placements on the gender spectrum. And now, for your delight, the darling of the Disney Plus back catalogue, it's the Mother Show! Yay! Yay! The Muppet Show is a sketch comedy slash variety show created by the lovely and much missed Jim Henson in 1974. After two unsuccessful pilots in the US, it was discovered by TV impresario Lou Grade, who agreed to give Jim and his pals lots of money and a studio to film in in England. The resulting show ran both in the UK and the US from 1976 to 1981 for a whopping 120 episodes and follows Kermit B. Frog, formerly and concurrently of Sesame Street News, trying valiantly to put together a weekly variety show with a host of Muppet talent, including comedian Fozzie Bear, the epitome of the strong female lead, Miss Piggy, the piano-playing Pooch Rolf, house band Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, and of course Gonzo the Whatever ably critiqued every week by geriatric grumpbag Statler and Waldorf. The Muppets and The Muppet Show have been a staple in most families' lives since the mid-70s, including mine. But Adam, do you have any memories of The Muppet Show? Was it shown in Leslie Mansions back in the day? And did you enjoy the episodes we watched tonight? It was indeed shown in Leslie Mansions back in the day. Woo! I think we watched it most weeks. Obviously now people are more apt to choose the programmes that they want to watch and they sit down and watch those programmes, but back in the 70s and 80s it was more like the channel of your choice you choose a channel and then it would give you an evening's entertainment and you just watched it yes so i don't even know if my family were huge muppet fans particularly but it was just on because it was on the tv it was that it was that or it was nothing we had blankety blank and tomorrow's world and everything we had the whole evening's entertainment every evening you had all, all of the bbc things as quite a small person when the muppet show was shown I found it confusing. I didn't really know what it was. Because it wasn't a children's programme. It looked and sounded like a children's programme. But it was on at seven o'clock in the evening during the adult portion of the programming. So we'd had our children's BBC. And now at the time when things like Terry and June and Tomorrow's World and documentaries and all those grown-up things were on TV, here was this thing with puppets and songs and... 
wacky voices. How dare they? (laughs) I found it really confusing because on one hand, it had all those things and the humour in it was quite unsophisticated. So the jokes are quite silly. Yes. But at the same time, the guests on it weren't Fred Harris or Derek Griffiths or Leslie Judd or any of those people. It was Rudolf Nureyev and and Milton Berle and Roy Rogers and Peter Ustinov. Ethel Merman and Phyllis Diller. Ethel like, Merman, come on. All these people from adult, mm. the, the ad- adult world of showbiz. George Burns. Vincent Price was on it. Vincent the king Price. of horror, Vincent Price, was on The Muppet Show. <laughs> With Muppets. And also the themes of The Muppet Show. It, it was like uh, workplace stress. Yes. And romantic rivalry and, you know, there's a complex the, the thing going on between Piggy and Kermit and one of the episodes we watched is about unionisation. Yes. And some of Fozzie's jokes are fairly grown up. Yes. There's a joke about the cemetery is so full it's standing room only, which is not a children's programme joke. No, no. And the violence as well. It's quite a violent yes. show. There's a lot of explosions. I mean, it's it's silly. I mean, it's not. It's... Lots of exposure, lots of karate chopping and people flying through the air and screaming. So it's not like, you know, it's not dark violent, but it's quite violent. It's, it's and I think because Kermit's obviously quite a sensitive character and he's forever getting karate chopped by this bullying pig. Yes. Who's who's kind of like his Aunt Sally, his Wurzel Gummy. But less terrifying. Uh, and he's rather afraid of her. I mean, I knew girls like Miss Piggy, uh, so I, I, I know what it's like having these kind of, like, huge, overbearing and rather violent girls. Wait a minute, you be quiet! I'm gone! <laughs> Not you. But I mean, that was school. just a perfect, that was a perfect description of me. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've never high-yard me. I've never high-yard you. I would, I would never. I, I think I felt the stress of it and I was a bit alarmed by the violence and just discombobulated by the fact that this is on grown-ups TV so I don't know what to make of it. Yes, it kind of tried to find a nice kind of in-between the kids can enjoy it on one level, the grown-ups can enjoy it on one level, medium, and was not always 100% successful at it. No, I mean, it's definitely intended as family viewing. I suppose like Doctor Who, that it's mm. a kid's show, but it's on at tea time and it's quite violent and nasty. I mean, it's more... I didn't really, at the time as a child, get the impression of Doctor Who being a kid's show. It was just Doctor Who. Mm. It's just sci-fi. And you kind of know where you are. You know that it's violent because it's got Daleks with guns. But this looks like a kid's show, but it has Rudolf Nureyev in it. Yes. <laughs> And people have been karate chopped and they're yes. really stressed about how their day is going at work and if all the things are going to happen. So, it's yeah, it's quite a it's quite a strange thing. But I think The Muppets is a bit like The Princess Bride. Ah, yes. Everyone I know and respect, all my friends, are really into The Princess Bride and everyone's a Muppets fan. And I'm just not. I, I've never been into The Muppets. I first saw The Princess Bride around your you house. You did indeed. After years. Yes. After years of everyone I know and love being really into the <laughs> Princess Bride, and like when we had MySpace, all their header quotes were quotes from Princess Bride, and so it was really built up as a thing. And what what was my reaction? Do you remember my reaction? It was very much. Mm. See, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, ah, that, that was, was a film. That was that was a film. All <laughs> right, certainly yeah. some things that happened. Yeah, that was, uh, it's got Columbo in it. I've never seen a Muppet movie until last Christmas when I saw uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol. Ah, yes, the definitive version. To which uh, my reaction was, yeah, it's fine. What? <laughs> but however, having said all that, 
I did really like the Muppet Babies. I mean, I mean when I say really liked, I, I enjoyed the Muppet Babies because uh, I was too old for the Muppet Babies. So I was like 11 or 12 when they were shown as part of Going Live. Mm. So I don't think I would have tuned in especially for the Muppet Babies. But because they were part of Going Live and I was watching Going Live anyway, mm. I was I was perfectly... Yeah, I really enjoyed the Muppet Babies. I thought it was nice, warm, cosy, early morning TV with some nice, lovable characters and not too much peril. No. So I think actually the Muppet Babies is, is my most... the most contact I've ever had with the Muppets. Wow, crikey. I think the Muppet Babies generally get quite a bad press. Yeah, I don't know why, because I always enjoyed it. Is everything all right in here? Yes, on, on the surface, the Muppet Babies, it looks like it's for preschoolers because they're babies. They are. <laughs> they're in nappies. They are. The, the only thing, the only thing with the Muppet Babies is that mm. is that nanny kind of freaked me out because all she saw were like purple and green legs. So yeah, no. When, when I was little, mm. I uh, I think they replayed the Muppet Show like in the maybe in the early afternoons on some sort of children's television because I was a lot I, I because I'm a bit more common than you I watched ITV as well <laughs> I mean in Leslie Mansions the only people allowed to watch ITV were the servants in the basement <laughs> you know downstairs yeah as long as they kept the volume yeah, down so we right. couldn't hear it yeah that's right I, heaven forbid you ever see an advertisement mm. so yeah no I, I, I remember watching it a lot when I was little um, I also I mean obviously at the time there were things as well like Fraggle Rock, which came on a little bit later. And I too watch Muppet Babies because, you know, I think it, they showed it on Going Live and I think it was on Children's BBC as well, like really early. So yeah, I watched I watched that and then sort of like growing up, I have watched pretty much all of the Muppet films. Um, Muppet's Christmas Carol is, it's kind of, despite the fact I do not Christmas, it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a Christmas tradition. Well, it was when Joe and I shared a, a flat uh we would we would watch Muppets Christmas Carol and I would do a full English breakfast and we would enjoy it with we would enjoy the film with our full English breakfasts and something very alcoholic-y I mean you say you don't do Christmas but that's uh, that sounds like a fairly good Christmas morning to me I, I think so I know how to do Christmas better than Christmases <laughs> yes how dare in recent years they've come out with different Muppet series there was uh a series of Muppets which sadly only lasted for one series, and I don't understand why, uh, because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was like a spoof on The Office, which is obviously a spoof. The the, the Muppets is really, really funny. Um, it's a bit more grown up than, than The Muppet Show. It, there's a lot of a lot of gags and um, scenarios that are a little bit more, a little bit more like maybe to, maybe. 12 edging to order 15. Excellent. But it's very funny, very funny. I would recommend that. So what does the Muppets mean to you? I mean, maybe you just answer that with your Christmas morning ritual. Well, they've just kind of always been there, haven't they? The Muppets in general, are just they just feel a very safe kind of group. You, you always know that, like, Kermit's going to try and hold everything together. Miss Piggy's going to be a bit outrageous. Gonzo's going to leap off something and try and smooch chicken. Uh-huh. Fozzie's going to attempt to be funny with varying degrees of success. And Statler and Waldorf are just going to tell you what you're thinking, really. You know what you're going to get from them. And it's always pleasant. It's not like you don't have to think about things. You just know that they're just the Muppets. I mean, you know, I remember watching the Muppets film, the 
relatively modern one from about, I don't know, can't remember when it came out, maybe 2014. And the beginning bit showed a new Muppet called Walter. And he felt very left out, felt like he was very much of an outsider. It was Walter and his big brother, Gary, who was played by Jason Siegel, who is obviously a human. Oh, yeah. And although they loved each other and had a really, a really good relationship, um, Walter always felt a little bit of an outsider. And then one day he saw something on television and it was the Muppets. And all of a sudden it was the thing that made him feel like he knew who he was. And there's this sort of scene where he feels like he's going into the television when the show is on and joining in. And just that whole feeling of finally finding your place via a television show is absolutely something that resonated with me because that's exactly what happened to me with the monkeys. Even though my siblings and I didn't hate each other, got on fine. (laughs) But you're also, you're very much not like them. I am not like them at all. With no sides or anything, it's just... I just am different to them. You're a total nerd. I, I am. I, I mean, now I find out. Now, now I realise as I've, as I've grown up and, and things that it's because of stuff like ADHD and autism that I am different because my family is more neurotypical than I am. I wouldn't say completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Muppets are a very inclusive, I think. I think that's kind of what Jim Henson was trying to build, a, an, an inclusive where everybody was accepted atmosphere and it tried in its own little way to at at the time even though it was mostly aimed at children it will kind of try to bring in themes of race and I think if you look if if you look at it in a particular way he was he was also very gently trying to bring up themes of sexuality um in in as much as you know Kermit and Miss Piggy completely different species were in love with each other (laughs) yes there's been a lot of talk about Bert and Ernie being. I think I think it is now actually canon that Bert and Ernie are together. I think Statler and Waldorf are a couple as well. I think so. They spend a lot of time together. Uh, yes, they do. They do. I but I feel like Statler and Waldorf are together in the same way that Eric and Ernie were together. I feel like they will be in bed <laughs> reading the Financial Times. Yes, I can totally see them in bed together. In their pajamas, their stripy pajamas. Yes, yes. I'm not who I'm not sure who would read what, <laughs> but yes, very much, very much that. Um, I I just think that he wanted everybody to feel they had a place, and I um because all the Muppets came in completely different shapes, sizes, colours, and species, and a few made up species, and they were all accepted and they all had a thing to do and they were all made to feel safe I feel as though it was kind of his way of saying that we are we are all important we all can fit in and we all deserve to be loved and accepted for exactly who we are and a lot a lot of the Muppet themes in the songs and in the sketches even are just about finding who you are and loving who you are I think that's a really important thing for everybody who's ever felt a little bit other because of whatever, because of of where they're from, because of what they look like, because of their sexuality, because of their disabilities, because of, you know, what it does. It doesn't matter because we're all important. Yes. And I think that's 
that's the great thing about Muppets. That's a similar premise to Star Trek. And I think also like Star Trek, you don't need to have seen an episode of the TV show to really know exactly who the characters are and be really familiar with them. They're kind of yes. they're so ingrained into the culture that you know who Kermit the Frog is and you know who Miss Piggy is and Gonzo and Fozzie. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I just remembered that the, an, another encounter I had with the Muppets was that my friend Sam in the sixth form at school, he had all the albums, so I got them on tape. He taped them for me. So I used to quite enjoy listening to the songs. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love the Muppet albums. The one that really sticks in my head was Mississippi Mud. Oh, uh, it's true, you just get your feet in the Mississippi Mud, mm. that's right. What dance do they do, um, Lordy, how I'm telling you. And also Sam the Eagle singing Titwillow, Titwillow, Titwillow. There's a version of uh, Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth, but about hunting. I don't remember any of the other songs, but those are the three that I remember. Oh, I've, I have I have the first two Muppet albums, and I think the ones that I always played, that I've played too much, are Hey Mr. Bassman. Oh yes, that is a good one. Hey, hey Mr. Bassman. You got that certain something. Hey, Mr. Basement. I do remember that. Yeah, I mean, I like the original song as well. So they do a fairly faithful version of it, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's quite a Muppety song anyway, the original. They often choose quite Muppetesque songs, but then occasionally they go a bit left field. <laughs> they get a little bit morose. <laughs> we ended up watching three episodes. I haven't watched the Muppet show sort of avidly since I was quite small, but then when it came back on Disney+, Plus and it was obviously immediately available. I watched, I binged quite a lot of it, and I kind of over, I overdosed on Muppets. So I've not seen the whole lot, but when I decided that we would we would do the Muppet show, my very first thought was that I wanted to choose episodes featuring guest stars that you like. Yes, which I think is an excellent plan. You butter me up. It would be super enjoyable for you. Yes, yes. So originally I chose one of your, one of your musical heroes, uh, one of your film heroes, and one of your comedy heroes. So I chose Paul Williams, Peter Sellers, and Star Wars, uh, Mark Hamill, and C-3PO, and the other chaps. Then I watched Peter Sellers one. (laughs) I changed my mind really quickly. It was the most terrifying Muppet episode I have ever seen. It was just, it was so, it was so sinister. It's dark, yes. I should point out that uh, there is an episode of Tyler's excellent Goon Pod, which goes into the uh, Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers episodes in in more detail. But yes, I watched the Peter Sellers bit of it uh, after I watched the Paul Williams episodes, and he is certainly not in a good place. No, it's very very dark and quite bleak. We're not being oversensitive here. He starts off in not quite blackface. It's definitely dark brown face, and then goes on to doing an outright Hitler impersonation on the Muppets. He dresses as a Nazi and tortures a pig. He has the Hitler moustache and the Himmler glasses, which is alarming. Yes. I'm just going to easily bring this leg around to the front. You did not feel that, Link. Oh, no, no, it's oh, not good. The muscles are in such good condition. Oh, yes, I can tell a good muscle when I feel one, Link. <laughs> and this one will have to come the other side. It's, yes. So I said, do you know what? We might not do this episode at all. Let's switch to another of your comedy heroes. So I did. 
So we're doing Dudley Moore instead. Because you say the Peter Sellers one, it wouldn't have been so bad if it was funny Mm. but he was so off his prime that his comic timing had gone so he just looked unhealthy he looked like he wasn't going to survive the episode a lot of the time he he seemed to really be struggling and unfortunately with the episode also was everything was going wrong for kermit so the story of the episode you couldn't settle down into the episode in any event. And then you've got Sellers just being really off the boil. Really? Yeah, it was so weird. I get the sense that Sellers originated all of the bits that he was in. I think he... I mean, writing it is too strong a word. It's. I think he, it's just him messing about. He messed about darkly. And getting strong vibes that he's responsible for it all. And it has the famous scene as well. Is it Kermit he's talking to where he says, there is no me? Oh, yes. Kermit's talking yes. to him and he says, so tell us about yourself, there is no me. Mm. And it's, it's done as a joke, but I think it's not. Yeah. And it's where the idea comes from that there's, there's no Peter Sellers, but it's it's a little bit it's a little bit chilling in a way. Uh, you know, I, I just love all your wild characters, Peter. But, you know, backstage here, you can just relax and be yourself. Mm-hmm. But that, you see, my dear Kermit, would be altogether impossible. I could never be myself. Uh, never yourself? No. You see, there is no me. I do not exist. I beg your pardon. Yes? There used to be a me. Mm -hmm. But I had it surgically removed. I wouldn't allow my cats to watch it. Uh... (laughs) Cover their eyes. (laughs) You wouldn't guess that he still had being there to come because you'd think that's pretty much the end of anything meaningful he was going to do. But no, he, he he turned it around and gave us Being There, which is possibly his best film. So we watched three episodes involving small men with lots of personal charm. Yes, which is my favourite way to spend an evening. <laughs> yes. And we started with the smallest of them all, Paul Williams. God love him. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say he's one of my musical heroes, but I do I really enjoy Paul Williams. He's a good lad. I'm maybe less sold on his seventies ballads, but I really like his upbeat songs. So my favourite musical is Bugsy Malone. Uh one of my favourite songs ever is uh one of his album tracks called That's What Friends Are For, which is very jaunty and uplifting. And he just seems like a really nice and warm person and much more wholesome than Peter Sellers. Not difficult. When you sent me through the links, you said, uh, hopefully these people will make you smile. And when I saw the first one was Paul Williams, it did. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I like I like Paul Williams. My, um, I didn't know that he was sort of such a prolific songwriter, music um, yeah. chap. Um, because the, on- the only knowledge I really had of him was the song at the end of, of the film Secret of Nim uh, is called Flying Dreams and he sings that and it's one of my favourites it's like the closest I get to being in love with a romantic song oh really and because it's not it's not really it's not really romantic it's just it's just beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful song well he wrote Rainbow Connection for the Muppets he did he wrote he wrote a lot of songs for the Muppets uh, he oh, was he? yeah I think he his role as like a official unofficial Muppet composer uh, has been taken over a little bit by Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords now. Oh, of course, yes. Also, a lovely small man. Probably not as small. 
I really like Paul Williams' voice. It's very Harry Nielsen. It's a similar sort of tone to Harry Nielsen. Yes, it is, actually. He was being small with the rest of the Muppets, but not quite as small as most of them, which made him very happy. The first, after we're introduced to um, Paul Williams, the first musical number involves <laughs> involves a monster dismembering itself yes. uh, around various puns in the lyrics. And I can quite categorically say that I would have really disliked that when I was little. Yes, I knew that when I was watching it, I was like, little Adam would not have been a fan this moment. I'm not sure if big Adam would be. <laughs> I mean, but... I found it a bit disturbing. <laughs> For, for those for those of you who haven't seen this episode and you're wondering what the Muppet looked like, if you imagine a fluffy New York Bernard Cribbins. <laughs> yes, and as it's singing this song, it's taking pieces of itself off and giving it to the yes. other monster that it's singing it's to. It's taking its lips off and its eyes mm-hmm. and its, and it's arms. Cheerfully, cheerfully dismembering itself. I, I enjoyed the song, but I know that it would have really bothered me when I was little. I, I yeah, didn't you, like that you, sort of thing at yeah, all. Yeah, you, you would not have appreciated it. And I think what made it worse is, and this is possibly the main thing that bothers me about the Muppets generally, is the canned laughter. Take my lips. I want to lose them. Take my arms. I'll never you. Most of the jokes are only vaguely amusing, but the the audience are wetting themselves throughout. Hey, it's probably really, really funny to other Muppets. <laughs> it's really funny to pre-recorded laugh track. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the audience is full of Muppets because there is an actual audience. It's at an actual theatre. I don't even know what you're talking about. There's no no expense spared on the audience. So uh, Muppets would find it funnier than, than other humans. <laughs> I suppose. It would be nice if they'd done, like, Muppet laughter. It was more like a... Hur, 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 hur. Yeah. The canned laughter throughout annoyed me a bit. Because we don't have canned laughter in TV, of course. I know how you feel about canned laughter. Yeah, it's not a thing that is anymore. Either no. shows have real audiences or post The Office, there's no audience at all. It's all it's comedy drama. So mm. you, you, you laugh at the bits you find amusing yourself or you have the atmosphere and the vibe of a real audience reaction to real things. You have to figure out for yourself whether it's funny or not. <laughs> exactly. And so to our, our modern eyes and ears and sensibilities, canned laughter seems really incongruous. And really artificial, and I think at the time I probably wouldn't have been able to tell. But now it's just so obviously that these jokes aren't funny. That I mean, you might have a, a slight smile on the inside, but they're not—they're not laugh out loud funny. Trust me. <laughs> Most of these jokes—it's like when you when you respond to a text message with lol. Yes, you're not actually lolling, and you are not lolling. There's, there's no actual lolling. I mean, occasionally there's lolling, but then I, I don't use lol anyway. Yes. I, have, I have some self-respect. <laughs> Oh, check you out. Uh, I've been quite catty today, haven't I? <laughs> you are a little bit. What's wrong with you? So, there was that. And then it went straight into another musical number, which was very nice. Uh, an old-fashioned love song 
featuring not only Paul Williams, but two, two Paul Williams puppets. Yeah, which was rather fun. And he looked so delighted. And I was I was delighted to hear uh, just an old-fashioned love song. I have been known in the past to do that in karaoke, the uh, Three Dog Night version. Wow. But actually, I like this. I like this version more than the Three Dog Night version. Obviously, by design, the Muppet Show is formulaic. Hmm. It mixes things up every week enough that you don't... Although there's, like, the same bits, you don't really know when anything is coming so it keeps it keeps it nice and nice and fresh because you know a lot of times we'll have like a song and then a couple of sketches and then another song but then but sort of this this time they've had two songs and then a couple of sketches and then another couple of songs so i will say i really really liked most of the musical numbers the sketches less so shall we say but the musical numbers i really liked i i can't believe you didn't like sketches because basically Sketches were full of Adam jokes. They were not. I take that back. No. How dare! You? How dare you! I was watching them, thinking this is where Adam gets all of his jokes from. Right. That's it. I quit. I quit. <laughs> Thirteen. Thirteen-year friendship is now over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm handing in my badge and I'm handing in my microphone. Most of the jokes and the sketches involved. Oh my like, god! Here's this one thing. Oh, wait. Really? So, like, there's, there's the sketch where Paul Williams says, oh, so I'm surrounded by all these puppets. It's the first time I've been the tallest person in the room. Immediately two or three giant Muppets arrive and he looks dismayed at no longer being... And that's kind of the quality of the jokes. <laughs> no, that's not, those aren't my jokes. Yeah. How dare you? How dare yeah, you? But the, pun, the puns are very you. Are they which one? Oh, well, actually, no, I did write down one that I like but it made me sweat. Oh, dear. So immediately after the old-fashioned love song, we cut to Statler and Waldorf, and one of them says, you know, he's a credit to his race. And I'm like, uh-oh, where's this going? Uh... Paul Williams is a white fella, but I think no matter what his ethnicity is saying, he's a credit to his race, is 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 a bold move for the opening of a joke. And the other one says, what race is that? The 100-yard dash. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Oh. That's quite uh, an entertaining pun. <laughs> yes. But it, it did make me sweat slightly. The ballroom dance segment, uh, I think that, that kind of was a bit of a, a mainstay of the first series when there's a load of a load of different couples dancing in. Oh, and, yes. And it, it's all, the song is always, it only happens when I dance with you. Always. Um, and they all, they all tell terrible jokes. And Animal's dancing with a girl and he's like, you want to take a trip? <laughs> And then he throws her across the room. Yes, there was one joke in that that I liked. Uh, how could you have a son that age? I didn't. When I had him, he was just a baby. Yes, that, that I liked. Is, that was that a good is joke. That's the new joke. That's the kind that's about that the I only. Mean. That is the. That's about the only good joke in about. all of the episodes. But I'm really sad that they got rid of the ballroom dance segment because a lot of the jokes were really, a lot of the jokes were of that kind of. They were great. Some of them were actually a little bit too rude for a children's show, which I liked even more. This is my complaint about the quality of the sketches. Uh, A good example is Rolf's sketch when he's trying to read a poem about silence. Oh, yes. He's reading a poem about the joys of silence, and every time he says something about silence, then one of the the Muppets come in and makes an equivalent noise. Yes. Silence. A poem by Rolf. That's me. Silence. Hear the nothingness. Listen to the quietness of everlasting space. 
Down the winding velvet corridors of time, it sweeps and sweeps and sweeps. <laughs> and sweeps away the sound of creatures crying in the night. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that sketch. Which is this shit because awesome. I, I, I like Rolf. I like all of them. It was just, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. Um, the only song that didn't involve uh, Paul Williams was <clears throat> I'm in love with a big blue frog. Oh, yes. I really enjoyed that. Did it inspire Paul McCartney? This is the second time in the run of Retro Tube we've asked this question. It's a very strange song. I, I, it's, it's, on, it's on the first song. Muppet album. I don't know whether it's extolling interracial marriage because there's a line about the racist neighbours. They think the value of their property will go right down if, if the, the family, family next, next door, door is blue. Is blue. Which is a very grown-up joke. Or just, like, casual bestiality. I just don't understand. <laughs> I, I, I like to think it's the, it's the former. The, the final line is, it's better than the bow that I had last year when I loved a little bumblebee. Like, dude! <laughs> and also, it's a bit confusing because presumably the Muppet in question is supposed to be a grown woman because it's a human Muppet. Yes, it's a person Muppet. It's... Uh, not an animal Muppet. But she's, she comes off as a little girl it's, it's... who's talking about the children that she's going to have with this big blue frog. They think values on their property will go right down if the family next door is blue. Would modern audiences get that reference to the property of the value going down if the family next door is blue? Because I think that's maybe not a thing anymore. Hopefully it's not a thing anymore. I dread to think that it will be a thing anymore. Maybe, you know, in in some states in America or some counties in England. For younger listeners, probably between the 50s to around the 80s, there's this idea that, like, in in smart white neighbourhoods, if a black family moved in, that would take the prices of the houses down which is it's just appalling really isn't it to to contemplate now i like the jauntiness of it but i really don't like any of the lyrics it's just (laughs) i quite like the lyrics he wears glasses and he's six foot three (laughs) six foot three frog adam our children will be good looking because they'll have my face and great swimmers because they'll have his feet children with frog feet it's just horrific but human faces yes all of the frog chorus, and it was a frog chorus, they were all naked. Apart from uh, uh, Kermit was in the back, well, but he was wearing his collar, but all the rest of them were, were stark naked frogs. Going, um, up, um, up, ribbit, 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 yeah. like that. <laughs> During the course of the episode, of course, uh, Fozzy had decided... Oh, Benny, no, sorry, hang on. Don't, uh, Uh-oh. He needs a wig, sorry. Come on, Mary came today over Christmas, and um, uh, she started to give him a little treat every time that he used the lit tray. Well, he has cottoned onto that really quickly. I bet he has. He's Some- a little mercenary. Sometimes he just sits in the lit tray and pretends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> and 
And even better, <laughs> he's playing you like a fiddle. He's like, yeah, sure, I'm weeing. Lol. Um, <laughs> but Wilby has cottoned on to this as well. So because I'd never had to train Wilby, I just kind of showed him where the lit tray was and he was like, okay, gotcha. He now, as soon as Benny goes to sort of do whatever it is that he's doing, Wilby will sort of trot quite cheerfully into the kitchen and just sit there waiting for a treat because he's like, well, I'm a good boy anyway. <laughs> Why should Benny get more treats than me? They're quite the double act, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And I think he, I, I think Wilby makes a good point, frankly. Why I should think, the bad kid get more treats? I think Wilby makes good. a good point. So Wilby Will, also gets treats because he's so very handsome as well. You should get treats for being handsome, frankly. Anyway, where were we? Yes. I think one of the things that also didn't quite work with this episode was that there's no Gonzo or Piggy. No, it's they not were really. They're pretty is, much though. entirely they, absent. Yeah, and they are pretty important ones for the moving forward of the sketches and the... Miss Piggy's the second lead character, really, isn't she, after Kermit? I would say so. She's the female lead. So after this, we skipped forward a few years. We did. We went to episode four, series seven. No, hang on. Series four, episode seven. Yes, we did. Because, you know, I mean, normally we would just do one series at a time. But to be fair, the Muppet show is always Muppets Muppeting, there's a human there. It's not going to change. So I didn't think you might. No, not at all. This one, we met another small gentleman, Dudley Moore. We did. And actually, this is the first time I'd ever met him. Wow. This is very surprising, all things considered. Which is bonkers. Surprising, surprising considering I am such a big fan of British comedy and especially... You love British comedy. You love 60s TV. You love very small men. You love musicians. I love vaguely grumpy people. <laughs> yes. Dudley Moore on paper always should have been a man that I am madly in love with, but I didn't discover him until this week. I have had... I have had a difficult week, Adam. I have done nothing but watch, not only but also, and basically anything Dudley Moore related that I can get my hands on. Wow. And I'm not well. <laughs> I'm not well. I, I'm a little <laughs> overwhelmed. But so you, no, lo- you I love him now? He had kind of, oh my goodness, I am having a problem. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of knew that he existed. I knew yeah. that all. Well, of course, right. it's Dudley Moore. But I didn't know anything about him apart from the fact that he was called Dudley Moore. Like that was, I mean, I may have known, I may have known that he played piano. But aside from that, it just like he just didn't exist really. And you didn't even know he was in sketches with Peter Cook. I became aware of that in the recent sort of, like maybe last ten years wow. or so. But I never even heard. This of is Peter very Dudley. strange. I don't it's know like I how. Don't know you. I don't know how it. I know it. I don't know how it had just completely skipped my knowledge. I just, it's not like I had avoided anybody. It's just that I just, it just escaped me. I don't, I don't think that my dad would have disliked them because I feel like the humour is very much my dad. And the only thing, the only thing I'd ever seen Peter Cook in is in fact The Princess Bride when he was the the bishop. Is he doing his voice? The bishop character seems like what uh, marriage is what brings us oh, yes, together. Oh yes, of course, yes. That's right. It's not the it's not the uh, voice that he does for bloody Greta Garbo. No, it's, it's not. It's not the Pete voice. Bloody Greta Garbo. Bloody Greta Garbo. So yeah, this episode has changed my life a little bit. 
this week. There's been a whole world opened up to me now. Do you know, I can't believe, I, can't, I, I, I really can't believe that, like, I've missed all of this. But also, I can't believe how, how Python-esque it was five years before Python. And everybody's always like, oh, God, Monty Python, they're so groundbreaking. And I'm like, but, 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 but they're just, they're just rehashing Dudley Moore stuff. <laughs> I seem to remember actually when we did the um, Thunderbirds episode that you had no knowledge of the Pete and Dud Thunderbird sketch. I have now. I have seen it several times now Good. this week. Yes, very much. And I just absolutely adored it. As obviously a person who loves all things Jerry Anderson and a person who doesn't especially like things that directly take a poke, this is this is done with so much love. And you know it's done with so much love because the detail is so on they get so many things right <laughs> the type of spoof i really hate is the space balls type where it's a bit hand wavy we're not going to sully ourselves by being specific i always feel that space balls it's like we want to do a star wars spoof but we're a bit embarrassed if anyone thinks we've actually seen star wars we're far too intelligent and grown up for that Ugh. So this has the actual proper opening sequence. I suddenly realised this is the one I remember. The season one opening sequence it, it just involves the cast dancing onto the stage and left and right. Mm. But this one is the one with the archers. It's, it's like, as you said at the time, I think it's like Tomb of the Cybermen. Yes! Yes, it is. And now I see it again. It's, it's absolutely like Tomb of the Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> This is more to do with me being a bit of a strange child than the show itself. This is another thing that baffled me. I'm like, why are they under all these arches? And then why is Gonzo inside a big O with a trumpet? I didn't really understand. Oh, poor you. Oh, yeah, one thing I wanted to say about the um, the backstage area as well, because, of course, I haven't seen the Muppet Show since it was on, and that's one of those um, spaces from childhood that just kind of comes back to you. Like I was saying about the adventure game, when you go back and see the adventure game after all those years and it just suddenly feels like this very familiar environment. And it was the same with the backstage area of The Muppet Show. Even in the opening titles, it feels tighter and more high energy already. Yes. Than the first series. It starts with a gag, a good big visual gag. Uh, I'm having trouble tuning the piano. Will you give me an A? And Scooter gave him an A, very big A. By shooting it from the sky and a big A falls down onto Dud. It was like a 16-ton anvil. The very first proper like routine post-credits uh, is some, some bugs doing a lovely arrangement of She Loves You by the Beatles. I like the synth line. It's kind of like she yes. loves you by Tangerine Dream. Yes. Yeah, so I enjoyed that. I like the musical numbers. I like the little gag afterwards where Kermit said, you need the name, and they went, yes, we're thinking of the Grateful Dead. Um, Kermit <laughs> says, the who? And then one of the band goes, nah, that's already been done. I love a good who joke. You do, don't you? Kermit goes up to Dudley and he asks, you know, what the what the band are going to be doing. Dudley's like, I don't need no band, bro. Keep time by clapping your hands. Yeah, I've got mama. Dudley brings on this little robot 
who Kermit says looks like a refugee from Star Wars. And it kind of does look a little bit R2-D2-ish. If R2-D2 was made of an actual dustbin. It's named MAMA, which is an acronym for Music and Mood Management Apparatus. Did you remember that or did you write that down? No, 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 I remembered it. And then he has a little dance with Kermit because he shows him all the different types of music it can play. Kermit thinks it's wonderful. The band aren't 100% sold no well this is where we learn about unionization because the band get very antsy and shirty about this this is like the quite grown-up humor that Mm. happens in the muppet show opinions on the subject, so it's probably best to talk about it. Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, well, uh, why don't we openly and, and freely uh, express our feelings on, on the subject? Good. Yeah, yeah. I feel that that cheap jive jukebox is going to put an end to the gig for the band, man. I mean, we haven't worked all night, and it's your fault. Yeah, fine, Dudley. Well, yeah, uh, it comes payback at time, old man Frog gonna wonder why he's paying legal tender on us. Nice, <laughs> uh, Animal, who is, as we all know, Keith Moon, yeah. he attacks Dudley. He does. I love the way he, that he keeps on saying Dudley's name. Your fault, Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> Just like he'll he'll say things really threatening and then pause and then go, Dudley. Uh, it's very, very cute. <laughs> They're all getting a bit angry at this this robot thingy. And one of them says, it ain't got that swing because it's played by a thing. And I'm like, yes! Oh, yeah, that's quite fun. Yeah, I like that. And then Animal beats up the drum machine. And I'm like, yes, this is how I feel about drum machines as well. <laughs> Just as I wrote down, where the heck is Miss Piggy? We get an episode of Pigs in Space. Pigs, Pigs in, in space. space. That's one of the few things I remember very specifically about watching it when I was little. It's such a great series. Uh, so there's some very weak puns here. Like the starship is called the Swine Trek. That's not a pun. And one of the characters is called called Doctor Strange Pork. That's not a pun. No, that's... they're not jokes. They think they're jokes, but they're not jokes. They're not jokes. And now, Pigs in Space! When last we left the spaceship Swine Trek, it was being followed by a mysterious object. It it looks like one of those things that scientists send up from Earth. What do you call them? Satellite! Of course it's a light. Looks like a lot of lights, but what do you call it? Mon Capitan is off to a great start. Link, I've just found out what that object is. 
What is it, Dr. Strange Pork? I'll tell you when I make my entrance. Huh? That machine was sent up here to underscore this sketch. Huh? Yeah, that music was for my entrance. <laughs> Pretty big fanfare for a mere passenger hyphen scientist. Imagine what it would be for a captain. Think I'll try it, hmm? Here I go. Your captain is here! Forgive me for this. My note on the um, Pigs in Space episode was very weak. Very weak. But it's Pigs in Space, Adam. We have our first Piggy and Kermit sketch at last. And I wrote down that it's the first vaguely amusing sketch. So I think uh, I quite like that one. Yes. Because it's Piggy and Kermit. Like, they've got exactly. the chemistry. They have got the chemistry. Piggy lures Kermit into her dressing room, tells him that, something that she desperately needs. She wants him to do something for her. And obviously it's to unblock the sink. Uh, yes. <laughs> in the bathroom. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, I think this this sketch works because it's based around the two characters. It's not based around a weak gag. I mean, that, I mean, it has a gag, like, I want you to unblock my sink, which I think is a fairly good gag. <laughs> not even a euphemism. It's not even a euphemism because that wouldn't be a gag. That would just be awful. It <laughs> would just be something we don't, we don't want to think about. <laughs> then she gets all freaked out because there's something behind the door and it turns into kind of a a horror movie thing where she's convinced there's something lurking behind her closed door. No, wait! Come in, come in! Don't knock this door! Don't go out this door! Why not? Because, come in! I have this feeling there is something terrible outside. Wait here! Piggy, don't be silly. There's nothing outside that door to worry about. Yes, there is. There's something out there. There's something... Solo scat number that Dudley did. Yeah, I, I wrote down about that. It picks up whenever Dud's on screen because he he really knows how to work a camera. He's proper proper showbiz. Mark Hamill and Paul Williams were both very good, but there was maybe a slight awkwardness about people not used to being in that format of a TV mm. show. So they used to being performers in a different context. They were both very good, but slightly awkward. But Dud was just absolute natural. He was controlling it and he was he was working the camera like a pro. He was probably thinking, do you know what? After Peter Cook, anything's easy. <laughs> yes. He wasn't dealt an easy hand with his comedy partner, was he? I really enjoyed that though. I didn't didn't know what an what an amazing what amazing musician he is was. What a great jazz musician. I watched um, Beyond Beyond the Fringe. The musical numbers he does there, even though sort of he's like off to the side doing his own thing while the other three do the comedy stuff he comes in to do a few piano bits but like just the way that he can bring comedy into music without making the music joke it's just bonkers it's just bonkers the things the things that he could do and because like les dawson was an was an amazingly accomplished pianist and he did the 
occasional wrong note in a comedy fashion. But he, but Dudley never needed to do that because he pushed the comedy in a different way. Like, like for example, the, the sketch where he only plays the ends of songs or where he does different different styles on, I don't even know what the what the actual name of, of the tune is, but, you know, Hitler has only got one ball. Uh, he, when he does the... Uh, Colonel Bogey, isn't it? He doesn't do anything funny with the music, but the way that he uses the music is hilarious. describe but and just just in, just incredible but then but in in this he just kind of like he just kind of sits back and does a nice little nice little scat number just just to just to calm you down and chill you out yeah he's very likable and very relaxed he's very cuddly very avuncular cuddly dudley you don't feel like you know you're you're about to launch headlong into a Hitler impersonation with Dudley Moore. Uh, <laughs> or a racist, racist song. You feel like maybe he could do with sort of a flat cap um, and, and a pint of beer. Mm-hmm. And some buttocks following him around the room. <laughs> So after that, we skipped forward 10 episodes. We went on to series four still, still on series four, episode 17, which is Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels off of that Star Wars, their film, being on The Muppets. Because, of course. Which I'm fairly sure I didn't see at the time because I would have been very excited about this. I can imagine. The Muppets would have gone up in my estimation. I'm sure they would have. This was actually the one that I picked first before... Any other episode, I was like, if I can get Star Wars related thing in here, that'll be great. Because I had to sort of like put the kibosh on the Star, Bo- Star Wars Christmas special and I kind of wanted to make up for that a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, that's much appreciated. You're very welcome. Star Wars episode, yes. Star Wars episode. It's slightly dreamlike. I hesitate to say that I'm a Star Wars fan because I only and exclusively care about the original three films. That's fair. I have no interest in. I mean, I quite enjoyed the newer films. I quite enjoyed The Mandalorian. But outside of that, I have no experience or interest in any of the extended stuff. But the first three films were a big part of my childhood growing up and we were obsessed by it and collected all the toys. And And Peter and I would often walk walk around and, and daydream to each other about what it would be like if there were new Star Wars films or seeing bits of the original Star Wars films that hadn't made it into the into the finished movie and that kind of thing. So, Aww. of course, if you if you think like that a lot, you often get Star Wars dreams where you, you see, like, a different version of Star Wars somehow. Yes. It's like, I don't remember this happening in Star Wars. And so Aww. seeing 
actual actual contemporary Star Wars people. So this would have been about the time, judging by what... I didn't look up the dates, actually, but judging by what Mark Hamill was wearing, this must have been about the time they were filming Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, because it was, it was all filmed in the UK, so it, it won't have been a big stretch for them to... And I didn't know that it was filmed in the UK uh, until I was doing the research, but that really makes sense as to why there's so many English... English people who you don't think would have turned up on Broadway, like Bruce Forsyth. Yes, exactly. This is a really interesting episode, and I'm going to say up front that this is by far my favourite episode of the three. Kel's Priest. And not not because of the guests, though. Mm. I think just structurally it's the most interesting. It has the most interesting story. Yes. So the, the premise of this episode is that Luke Skywalker appears and C-3PO in the Muppet set. They're trying to find Chewbacca, who's been kidnapped by some turkeys. Of course. At the same time, there is also the character of Mark Hamill, who... Luke Skywalker claims to be his cousin. Yes. Well, that makes sense. And we assume he's saying, oh, he's my cousin, just as, as sort of like trying to fudge it. And then at the very end, the gag is they really are two separate people and they appear on screen together, these two identical people. Yes. Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker. Which would explain why they look alike and have different names. <laughs> yes, because they're cousins. Because it's a known thing that cousins are often identical. It is. For some reason. Yeah, it's a really fun episode, and it's got lots of it's got lots of energy to it. And Mark Hamill's really giving it everything he's got to the point where he's not playing Luke Skywalker in character at all. It's like Luke Skywalker on some kind of cocaine rage. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's kicking down doors. He's really aggressive. He's just a really aggressive, angry Luke Skywalker. He's kicking in doors and shouting. Oh, Mr. Kermitter, may I say what an honour it is to make the acquaintance of such a distinguished amphibian as yourself who's given so much joy to the universe oh wow well it, it's a real pleasure to meet both of you uh, and, and and incidentally why are you fellas here we are searching for chewbacca oh chewbacca the wookie correct as Arthur rightly says he's been kidnapped <gasps> kidnapped well well why are you looking around here we received this hyperspace telegram from him what uh, uh. To Luke Skywalker, C-3PO and R2-D2, help, I am being held prisoner by a bunch of weird turkeys. It does rather sound like your show. Yeah, it does. Remember Alderaan! I'll search upstairs. Rivio, you cover that exit. What shall I cover the team? Down with the Empire! What was that? That was my master, Luke Skywalker. I'll try to calm him down. But you know how strangely excitable these humans are. Yes. So that was really fun. I liked that C-3PO was there. C-3PO is one of my favourite characters because I feel like he is the one who will grumble while nobody else is going to. Mm. It's like, well, do you know what? This is actually <laughs> terrible. And let me tell you why. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that in an android. His voice sounded quite muffled. I think that's actually his voice. It's not been dubbed on afterwards like you would normally get with C-3PO. You yeah. dub it on afterwards with the effects. But that, but he sounds muffled. He sounds like he's talking from inside the mask, which makes sense because it's that kind of show. They want 
everyone to play off each other. They don't, they don't want to have to add in dialogue afterwards. No. I think they've added a bit of phasing when he's talking. Yeah. But other than that, it's all his actual voice coming through the mask. Everyone just seems to be having a great time and Mark's clearly having a great time playing against type because he, so, he comes across as such a lovely fellow. But he's playing this super aggressive version of Luke Skywalker, which is just very funny. He's playing Luke Skywalker as if he's never seen Star Wars and doesn't know who Luke Skywalker is. Yes very much it's a little disconcerting but in a very nice way it's just yes. it's, it's lovely it's lovely and, and i kind of really wish that luke skywalker had been a bit more like that in the films because it would have been awesome yeah i think so <laughs> it would have been, just just lose your temper luke go on when it's Mark playing Mark, he's very much in showbiz mode and it's fun seeing him because we don't get to see him in full showbiz mode very often. So he's no. he's trying to impress by doing his comedy routines and his singing and stuff. And he's really giving he's really giving everything and, and, and hamming it up to the max. And actually, this also this, this is one of the better sketches in it because just the gags are better. He says uh, it's something like I don't need to be in a third rate variety show. And Kermit's offended. Third rate, second, second rate. rate variety show. <laughs> Which is an excellent gag. Listen, pal, we're on a mission. There's no way we're going to be involved in any third-rate variety show. <laughs> Second-rate variety show. Hey, come it. Hold it, hold it. You're, you're Mark Hamill. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, huh? No, no, no. Uh, he's my cousin. That's it. He's my cousin, and he's right outside. But, oh, well, go get him. Hurry. Hurry. I want to see him. Run. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm a big fan of his. Oh, wow. Hey, you know what? You can be the guest on this very show, right, Kermit? Oh, well, uh, maybe. Uh, What do you do, Mark? Oh, uh, well, you know, I've been uh, known to do impressions. Mm -hmm. Who do you do? Oh, well, I just love impressions. Ah. Oh, I just love doing them. Ah. Terrific. Who do you do? (sighs) Maybe I just better sing. Oh, boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be my love For only you can end this yearning Okay! Back to things that used to frighten me when I was little. The list is very long. I was a very timid child. I know. So not this bit particularly, but generally the Three Little Fishies song. I hated that song. Doop, doop, did and dad and what and chew. I think I just like there's something about that. See, in this version of it, it's quite upbeat, and yeah, they they do a quite a jolly version. But generally, when people sing the Duke Duke didn't down and Wadham Chew, it's quite spooky and threatening. I find, and there's a peril, and yeah, they, I think they did it on um, Play School quite often, or or similar, or Let's Pretend, or similar things like that. They do the Duke Duke didn't down and Wadham Chew. Oh no, I hated it. No, didn't did not like sinister. This week's episode of Pigs in Space is a two-parter. A bit like the Monty Python extended sketches where it kind of all comes back round to itself in the end. Luke, C-3PO and R2-D2, who is, you know, minding his own business. I love the fact that earlier on in the episode, when Kermit is asking them if they would do anything on stage, you know, just before cousin Mark Hamill turns up, and they're all very much saying no. And R2-D2 starts blooping and bleeping. Uh, Kermit says, "Hey, well, your little your little garbage can friend really wants to do it." Uh, I, that, that 
<laughs> that did make me giggle quite a lot. <laughs> Little garbage can friend. Uh, that's so, so condescending and adorable. <laughs> I think I think there's quite a dirty joke around here. I think it's I think it's Kermit who says about R2D2, let me just push one button to which C3PO says, Don't be disgusting. Yes! <laughs> I think I think that was in like the first bit of Pigs. No, Doctor Strange Pork said that. Oh right, yes, that's yes. right. I know I've written it down, but I hadn't attribu- attributed it to anyone. And to be fair, Doctor Strange Pork just sounds like a medical problem. <laughs> oh boy, hot diggity dog, son of a gun! Oh boy! Oh look at that! Hey, could I play with your toy robot? He's not a toy robot. He's a scientifically programmed droid, and he's not to play with. Oh come on, let me just push one button. Don't be disgusting. <laughs> C-3PO is so shiny. He's so shiny. He's so shiny. I mean, he's quite shiny on film, but on TV video, he's so shiny. He's flaring out all over the place, which is great. It's like Elton John in the gold lame suit. <laughs> he really is. I have to go on stage and my piano isn't in tune. Oh, my. And then when Chewbacca turns up, he's naked. Chewbacca always wears his... Um, he always wears his bandoliers. Band- Do you mean his bandolier? Oh, I don't know how you pronounce it. His bandolier. He always wears his bandolier, except in this, he's he's entirely naked. Yes, he is. He's probably been having way too much fun with the turkeys. I think the most surreal part of any of the episodes we watched, and possibly any of the episodes in the whole Muppets run, is is actual C-3PO doing a dance. Yes, he really gave it some, didn't he? It was some proper soft shoe shuffling. Yes, I'm sure Anthony Daniels is a song and dance man. I, I expect he has a theatrical background. Of course. It was certainly a moment. <laughs> it certainly was. Things certainly happened. I'm not 100% sure that I was awake for them, but now you've said that you've seen them too, maybe I was. <laughs> yes, it, this is, I would really have liked it to have gone on longer. It only lasts like four bars. Mm. But I would have loved to have seen an entire C-3PO dance routine because he's got the moves and it's just it's just a brilliant thing to see. He has got the moves. Of all the things you think you're going to see in your lifetime, C-3PO dancing isn't necessarily one of them. No, he's like the, the Fred Astaire of androids. <laughs> Yeah, so I enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm very glad. I enjoyed the episodes more incrementally and not really to do with the guests. It was more, I think, more just to do with the quality of just the story structure and the writing and things. The only thing I didn't like about this episode was in the Pigs in Space segment when Miss Piggy walked on set and saw Luke Skywalker and she was like, oh, Luke Skywalker, hmm, talk about a heavenly body. And then went off and then came back dressed as Princess Leia. Oh, yes, I know what you're going to say. She was like, Luke, Luke, it's me, Princess Leia. She, she said that she's been she'd been captured by some evil villain and he said something along the lines of, well, the evil villain must feed his prison as well. She gave him a chance, to be fair. She was like, do you want... She didn't exactly say this, but... Would you it, like to it, rephrase the, that? The, the connotation was very much, do you want to rethink that and say that again? And he didn't want to rethink that, but he did say it again. And she sort of was like, listen up, Buster. I like that Miss Piggy won't tolerate any of that nonsense, even for... A known hero like Luke Skywalker. You can't go around making fat jokes about people, guys. No, it's not a thing we, we like seeing Luke Skywalker say. We don't do any kind of cruelty here on Metro Tube, apart from sometimes making each other watch things that we don't really do. <laughs> uh, we don't do any kind of cruelty except for the Star Wars Christmas special. I like that it was addressed, but I didn't like the joke. If I wasn't already a person who enjoyed watching the Star Wars films, it would have put me off Star Wars. Because I would have been like, 
why are they making the hero a guy who hates fat people? Even though I'm sure it was nothing to do with Star Wars, it was the it was the writers of the Muppets rather than Mark yes. and anyone involved in Star Wars. I am sure Mark Hamill is a lovely, lovely man. I've only ever heard nice things about him, and I am sure he would not even think about saying anything that rude. But it would have put me off to the extent I would never have watched it on principle. I've had enough abuse from strangers and from people and like I just I just feel like I don't need anything like You don't need it from Skywalker. No, not from a person who's meant to be the good guy, like the ultimate good guy who's meant to save all of the people. So that's the Muppets. So we've seen all of the things and now I need to ask you some questions. We've kind of almost covered this first one but which was your favorite and least favorite episode definitely star wars is the the favorite Mm -hmm. one at least favorite was the first one because i think it just hadn't quite got there and i think the the jokes were particularly lamentable they weren't the best but it was more than made up for by paul williams himself because he's adorable who was your favorite and least favorite muppet least favorite muppet that's a good question well i think the thing with the muppets as well is that they all complement each other they do. so i think at the time i was watching it it would have been miss piggy or animal because they're quite violent mm. and a bit intimidating but i don't really have a least favorite muppet i mean maybe fozzy because his jokes are quite annoying and he's quite annoying but then he's supposed to be so i can't fault him on that no i don't really have a least favorite it's just kind of like it's the muppets it's the muppets Yay! <laughs> Do you have a favourite if you don't have a least favourite? Maybe it is Animal now. I like the band generally. Yes, they are great. Do you have a favourite and least favourite sketch from one of the episodes? Maybe not like sketch or just like favourite segment as sketches go my favorite was definitely the closing star wars sketch for many many reasons a it was surprisingly amusing mm-hmm. but also you got to see actual people from actual star wars doing song and dance which is which is quite a thing i think my least favorite was rolf doing his poem and then he kept getting interrupted just because it was so predictable and it went on for so long it's like i know what this joke is you don't have to actually do the joke for five minutes so possibly that one although that's not including the the rogue peter sellers one that we uh, which we're not including no it's uh i mean that was just an all (laughs) an all-round least favorite yeah. let's say I mean it's historical this is one of the interesting things about the Muppets is they got on such high profile guests and it was the era that it was that you actually have some quite historical people in it mm. like Rudolf Nureyev which is just very unexpected so Peter Sellers even though it was a really dark and quite unpleasant episode it's still Peter Sellers on a TV show and so it's still a time capsule of Peter Sellers at that time when he wasn't at his peak and so it's part of the Peter Sellers stories we know all about his heyday in the early late 50s early 60s and then his decline through to the late 60s and then his extremely late career flourish with being there. We get a, a glimpse of him in his real mid-70s nadir here. So it's not pleasant or fun to watch, but it's historical. Yes, that's true. And the final question, uh, would you watch it again? Not the Peter Sellers episode. No, I mean, I might actually watch Any that other one again. Episode. Just because it's... <clears throat> that's a good question. I mean, I, I feel I've seen the three that would appeal to me the most... It would be dependent on the guest, so I wouldn't watch it for the Muppet action necessarily, although I did, like I say, many times enjoy the musical numbers. I was tempted to watch Petula Clark and Julie Andrews. I mean, that's fair. But probably generally there are other things I'd get around to watching first, shall we say. If somebody slung the Muppet show on, you wouldn't mm. run screaming into another room. No, I wouldn't flip the table over and storm off. <laughs> 
trying to imagine you flipping the table over. <laughs> I get that. I kind of feel I kind of feel quite similar to it. I think there are some episodes that, because of the guests, I would rewatch like Ethel Merman and Julie Andrews and things like that. I tried to binge watch the whole lot, but it's very much of the of the Batman ilk. You know, there's only so much there's only so much you can actually watch without feeling a little feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Yes, like you've had. Just too much sugar. Yes. I really need something savoury. I really need to watch a depressing Swedish crime drama now. <laughs> so, well, that's the end of that. Thank you very much for allowing me to inflict the Muppets on you. But at least I got to meet Dudley Moore. So, you know, to be honest, not sorry about anything right No, now. it was life-changing for you. Having a great old time right now. Yeah. Thank you as well for listening to RetroTube. I know it's been a million years since the last episode, but there's been, there's been a lot of things going on in uh, Northern and Southern HQs. We will be back at some juncture in the not-too-distant, we hope. Uh, and it will be Adam's choice. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in touch with us, you're more than welcome to. Uh, we are mostly available on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is retro at retro underscore two. And our email address, if you'd sooner email, is retro2podcast at gmail.com. We are usually quite good at getting back to you. We did have one email, and I did read it, and then I got really ill, and I forgot to reply to it, and I still haven't replied to it. So uh, oh. I can't remember the, the name of the chap who emailed but I'm really sorry that I didn't reply. And also, to add insult to injury, we most likely aren't going to cover Budgie at any point. <laughs> I have an Adam Faith phobia. Is this you replying now? <laughs> yes, <Okay>. it is. <laughs> uh, yes. So, yes, that's it. That's literally all of the words that I have got at my disposal. Adam, please give me the last word. Greta bloody Garbo. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. We've all come to say goodbye, 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 goodbye. This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Dead Ink Books, priced at ten ninety nine. Look for the pink and white cover.